0: I am smitten still
1: Hey, this is Steve Bolton and you are joining us for one of my favorite episodes yet of My Turning Point, with special guests Mike Eisinger and Brandon Boyd from the band Incubus. Known these guys forever, and this is one of the most in-depth, revealing interviews we've ever done together. Talking about how the band was born out of tragedy back in high school. A lot of fun in this conversation as well. If you are an Incubus fan, at any point you are not going to want to miss this interview. So, so the premise of the podcast and this is interesting because I've only done it with two people once is it's called My Turning Point and everyone starts with the artist choosing a, a sort of moment in their life that led them to where they are and we jump off from that hmm. so I don't know if you guys want to do one as a band or pick ones individually some people go very personal some people go much more professional hmm
0: I'm sure there's going to be even if we did choose personal things there would be some overlap that would lead us into the band so either way
1: yeah we
2: should probably do both if we could yeah like absolutely individual ones and then one as a band because they're uh,
1: tied together
2: for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm
1: cool so so, so go for it. what what <clears throat> would you pick is you know whichever one you want to start with um. So when I was really young, um,
2: in ninth grade I believe, um, I was really into surfing and skateboarding and I was really, ath- I was really athletic and um, I got into a really bad car accident um, and it took away my athleticism. Um, I, I got really badly injured and I was in school with Brandon and Jose and all the like, you know we we shared kind of a friend group and um we weren't making music together at the time but we were we were surfing and skating and doing all that kind of stuff um and i i played guitar prior to that and i really loved it and i thought it was really fun but after i got into this car accident it took my because it took my athleticism away i i had no choice but to make a lot of music and that's when i actually like really started getting into music and like sort of i kind of became singularly focused on music during that period of time and when i recover i don't even know if you really remember this brandon but but when i recovered from when i like actually fully recovered from that car accident was mm. when we started the band yeah. it's actually like right when i kind of like got back on my feet um And the band was kind of almost like my recovery from that crazy sort of, you know, there was a, it was a car accident where one of my best friends was killed in the accident. And, um, another one of my friends was really seriously injured. I was kind of the only person that actually like really walked away from that accident at all. Um, and, uh, it was such a turning point in my life. And I, I know for, for sure that if that accident hadn't happened, like I like, it changed the whole trajectory of my life. Like, I'd be doing something completely different. I have no doubt. I wouldn't have... I may have discovered that I love music or whatever, but I, I definitely would not have turned into what it turned into had it not been for that really tragic but really, um, like, life-altering event mm. in my life. How long were you laid up for?
0: Um,
2: I was in the hospital for
0: not that long, about a week, Considering your injuries, though, your recovery was pretty remarkable. Yeah.
2: I, I wasn't supposed to be able to walk for about six months. And um, I was back at school in about a month, but which is really like cra- Which was really crazy because it was against like every, you know, I kind of like, I think they tell you the worst and then hopefully you can overcome and, and, you know, but I was on crutches for a while. And I'd say between, it probably took me a year before I was like actually... Sort of back to some semblance of feeling normal again. Took about a year.
0: There's something um, right around the same time was when my parents were in the midst of a really kind of bitter divorce. And uh, that's right. It occurs to me hearing you say that how much uh, either like physical injury and a lot of times emotional upheaval or emotional injury can lead us into. Um, different kinds of coping mechanisms, so for some people uh they 'll they 'll medicate well, everybody medicates in some mm. respect, uh, but as kids like so when Michael was recovering from that, his I think your coping mechanism was like you you found music and you found the guitar, yeah, and absolutely it became your thing that you could singularly focus on um, and I know that when we started our band, it was an amazing um, way to express myself, but also uh it was very much a coping mechanism, and my want to escape the the kind of the upheaval in in my house uh, led me into the arms of this band, so to speak. And well, it was I a, actually, an incredible way to, to to incredible thing to get to do to escape, but also it's like we could express ourselves creatively.
2: Well, I remember actually, just to interject something mm-hmm. that's like just to further your point. The point that you're making is that I remember how how um turbulent the environment in your house was because Mm -hmm. your parents were divorced and they were living in opposite sides of the house yeah
0: so like they would meet in the middle to battle and then go back to their respective corners (laughs) i totally
2: forgot about that now i'm (laughs) I'm remembering it because we would like hear stuff Mm. and like it was like yeah
0: and it's interesting the first 10 to 15 years of, uh, songwriting I did was all <laughs> heartbreak and, you know, uh, I mean, we were just kids up from that. Yeah. It's true. We were, 15 year, 15 year old kids, but so much of our, our experience, just not only us, but just the way that people I think operate is, uh, we're, we're coping with different levels of trauma, you know, like life is, is can be pretty brutal to us sometimes. And so it's a, an amazing blessing yeah. to have something like music or art to be able to, uh, express oneself.
1: Well, it's such an interesting thing, though, because Brian O'Bear from Silver Sun was on the show, and he spoke at great length about, you know, his mom being diagnosed with cancer when he was a young kid and, mm-hmm. you know, how that formed him and everything, and it's such an interesting thing. I mean, because, you know, as you're sitting here talking about this, like, Mike, you're talking about the physical aspect, but as you say, you also saw one of your best friends killed. And mm-hmm. I imagine that that it's, you know, for both of you, it's such an, you know, I mean, that's so much to deal with mm. at that age. Yeah, yeah, and there's no... Um,
2: and. I mean, you know, you can, like, go to therapy or whatever. Like, there's no... when you're, Especially when you're a 15-year-old kid, like, you're not really equipped to handle that. So you just do what you do, you know? And But what we did was, like, we we just started making music. And it was, like, and it was really fun. It was, like, we, we approached it the way that kids play, you know? They, like, play stuff, play games, play whatever. Like, mm-hmm. that was how we, we... We did it because it was fun, and we did it because um, it... Gave us um, it just it gave us this platform and it also seemed to make a lot of other people happy too, which
0: was a yeah, pretty be-
2: cool consequence.
0: We became the uh, entertainment for our neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods for a period of time.
2: Kids were <laughs> bored where we where we grew up. You yeah. know, it was a pretty boring area. Nice, like pretty. You
0: know, but if you weren't into horses uh, and when there was no surf, you know, it wasn't much to do. So there, you know, drugs were kind of a, a big. Thing around where we grew up, and it's Los Angeles, so uh, you know it was rural Los Angeles, so um, uh, there was access. Unfortunately, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, uh, the best drugs the world had to offer, and the worst drugs the world had to offer. So a lot of kids were um, getting caught up in that too. I feel like we did the good drugs growing up.
2: Yeah, I think so. What
1: were the good drugs growing the up? The psychedelic ones.
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was a period of time when, um, when psilocybin. Made its way into our neighborhood, and that was a a really kind of amazing turning point as well. Because it kind of it was that was also right around the same time, maybe a year later, right, a year or two later. Yeah. Um, And those were formative experiences for us because we did have some of those experiences together as well. And uh, whether in big ways or in subtle ways, those kind of experiences nudge you in different directions as well.
2: It also makes me appreciate the fact that we got to really experience. Grateful Dead concerts because yeah. that's a that's a lost experience now you, you can't
0: that
1: just it just doesn't happen anymore it's true. for
0: obvious reasons there are versions of it but we actually got to go and watch the Dead play a handful of times while they I was were still say touring. But there
1: is still the Dead and Company
0: I haven't seen it but yeah. I actually heard it's, it's pretty good <laughs> I mean you know it's it's it, not the same thing but, but it, it was
2: such a it was, it was such a a culture and mm-hmm. you know when we were and when we were you know old enough to kind of experience that uh like on our own, um, my mom actually dropped me off in the parking lot of a Grateful Dead concert when I was twelve years old.
0: Wasn't that your first show?
2: It was. It was my first Grateful Dead show. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'd been to concerts before that, but oh my um, god, she just didn't know, huh? She just. My mom was just so sweet. She was like, <laughs> "Have fun," and I remember Make me and choices. Me and my friend Blake. We <laughs> we. She dropped us off, you know and it was like the parking lot of the Dead show was just like that's like the thing that you know? show was
0: lit it, it was unbelievable <laughs> I couldn't believe it, it I was, still can't believe it it was, it was so fun it was like
2: stepping into an alternate universe it was total culture shock I was mm. just like oh my god this is amazing yeah and I got I think I smoked pot for the first time that night too or, oh. or at least like yeah we got we got passed jo- joints passed to us by you know older people I remember a, a guy with a shirt that said dose me on it and he wasn't wearing he was wearing underwear underwear and, and no socks and the good guy take a joint from for your first time And it said or it, or it said dose me on his chest <laughs> something like that something <laughs> and he came up and gave gave a gave us a joint
1: talk about turning so points. funny <laughs> uh, we were just again
2: we were just totally in shock by this whole
1: thing oh my god! i mean you know oh man but now it's so funny being a parent
2: <laughs> All right, let's cut straight to that. It's like a hard left turn. Yes, I'm a parent no, now. but
0: it, speaking but, of turning points, <laughs> would yeah. you did you drop your daughters off at a Grateful Dead Hell
2: concert when they were
0: twelve? Fucking no, right.
2: and, no and, way. And what would you Absolutely say if they, if they
1: said, "Oh, dude, there's someone sitting next to us with so a shirt that said or said be on the chest"? So it's pronounced like, me. <laughs> yeah, I, no, uh, not gonna Spanish. happen. Spanish.
2: I would take them. I would take them to a show because it's it's you know. It's, it's a pretty interesting experience and I'd like for them to be able to I'd like for them to be able to experience all of these different you know sort of, sort of like cultural sections of the world um, and that's one of them but it's also just a totally different thing now it's all like it's all old timers now it's not like it's not the uh, it's not the, when, it's no it, was a, the, it was kind of a young person's thing mm-hmm. then there was still like older generations doing it but you
1: know this was the early 90s and, and what is the counterculture now? it's a a good question but now it's funny because we just went to like Real Street Festival in Anaheim which was actually incredibly done Mm. that was the hip hop festival that was Aesop where first show back after the whole Sweden debacle and all Mm. that stuff and I mean dude that was like the the most smoothly run Mm. (laughs) you know like friendliest festival. Wow. Yeah. And it's like I don't really know. It's a good question. I mean, and I have covered dance music for years and yeah. I don't go to that shit anymore cuz I'm too old. Counterculture but- exists.
0: It probably just exists in darker corners of the internet at this point. It's probably less uh human like- interaction getting together and more places where people are sharing
1: what are fringe ideas and like the dark parts of the web. But that's a really interesting question too, is at what point did the dead stop becoming, for example, the counterculture? Because it was pretty early on, I think at that point, yeah, you know, and, and again, nothing against them or the audience, but I mean, at some point, like you say, there, it was a crowd that made a lot of money. It was very, you know, so like, not from where we were sitting, <laughs>
0: <laughs> everybody was begging for everything, but it was a very kind of happy sharing barter culture. That now I'm we trying were to think though, from
1: a musical standpoint, in terms of the scene that surrounds it, yeah. what would be the closest equivalent? And I don't really know. Like, what would be the comparable experience? I mean, certainly there's nothing that exists anymore, like the miracle oh. ticket. I mean, I remember seeing Clapton in like 85 or something when my dad took me, mm. and there were people in the audience like asking for miracle tickets. But mm. it's funny, because we just had this... I'm working with the Rose Bowl as well. We just had the Stones there on Tuesday night. Yeah. Or Thursday night, I'm sorry. Oh, my God, dude. The amount of money spent at that <laughs> show now. Well, yeah. Their fans have... Like they're they have careers and
2: stuff, so they're yeah. you know, like the the Stones, like they cover a wide, you know, multi general generational group of of people. And yeah. but back to the the counterculture question, or like what the what the youth are sort of. Well, it's not necessarily you what know, the youth. Or what but what would be the re- equivalent of what the Dead shows were like? Well, I remember being at the Ultra Festival in like 2014 or whatever it was. 13, when um, I played there with Avicii. And that, to me, sort of, like, made me feel really old, first of all. And second of all, it was kind of like... I kind of had the feeling that that was sort of like... At that time, you know, this is now five, six years ago or whatever, but, like, that was kind of like the next wave of stuff. It was like you have all these young... It was really young. The kids are like, 15, 16 years old, you know... Taking Molly and all that, and doing like that was like I don't know, like maybe we would have been doing something like that if we were fifteen or sixteen at that yeah. age. I don't, I can't
0: honestly say. But well, when you're that age, you're seeking out uh, the uh, the road less traveled. Like you, at least we were. I don't know if that's a normal thing, but I was not interested in things that were mainstream at that point. The most mainstream stuff we were interested in was. What was successful alternative music, you know, like, and that stuff even then had a very kind of countercultural feel. It was considered alternative music. That's where that term originated from. But uh, yeah, it is a good question. Huh? But the thing is, is even if there a counterculture does emerge enough so that we can identify it, it's probably already done. The things being as they are, with the sort of exponential uh, increase in information in this information age, there's. Uh, the minute something's a thing, it is no longer a thing. The minute it's identified, it's on to the next thing. And so we got to benefit from a period of time where uh, it was uh, kind of a, uh, the burgeoning information age and things were a little bit slower. Burning. Burgeoning. I love that word. Uh, burgeoning. <laughs> so it was slower. So we had a chance to kind of like, you could sit in a counterculture for a minute and, and even formulate, God forbid, some kind of an identity with that counterculture. Now it's like, oh, I'm, I'm super this, it's like, ah, lame. That was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, literally yesterday, and you're
0: too late. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's crazy.
2: Well, social media that, you know, doesn't, e- it didn't exist then, obviously exists mm. now. And it, and it moved everything, it has caused, I feel like everything to move so much more quickly. Mm. So everything turns over way faster than it would have if
0: we just didn't have that. Mm. They were talking about stuff like this. Um- you know who Robert Anton Wilson was? Yeah. The writer? I was obsessed with him as a kid, but he had this talk called the Jumping Jesus Phenomenon that I think he put out in like 88 or something. And he was talking about the exponential increase in information back then. And uh, so I kind of wonder where that phenomenon is at now. Like how quickly is the scope of human knowledge replicating and doubling itself now? At one point in history, it was like, it took like a thousand years you know but now because of the internet because of social media I wouldn't be surprised if it happened every couple of days
2: well I heard something the other day like 50,000 songs get uploaded a day something like that oh my lordy so it's like jumping Jesus is that true (laughs) I think so (laughs) wow imagine how easy that would for that it would be for that to be true and and
0: it makes it even that much more remarkable actually, when one of our actually, songs actually breaks yeah, through yeah, and people
2: yeah. hear it. That actually seems like a small number if you really think about it. True. Like, yeah. you know, how easy it is to make a song. And, and put and, it up on the web. And then put it up, yeah. It's like yeah. 50,000 seems like that would be a low day.
1: Wow. <laughs> I don't know. So it's funny. Like you say, though, does it make you appreciate that? I mean, that's one thing that exists from a music standpoint. There is this whole idea of, of you know, like maybe there's more freedom now. But at the same time, when you think about it, it's funny. I just interviewed Sammy Hagar last week, and we were talking about it. How the fuck do you break through? So it's like there is that thing of like now you're in position that when you guys release a song, there's a built-in audience. Yeah. You know. So do you feel like on one hand there is a certain, um, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, I mean there is a luck involved in just being, you know, starting at the right time where it's like, okay, you were able to come out. Develop a fan base, mm. and so now when you release into the summer, people pay attention to it. You know, in a relative a, sense, it, as opposed to the fifty thousand. You know,
0: yeah, there's a thing too with like, as
1: opposed to the forty-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine other songs that were released that Friday.
0: That's why it's kind of a remarkable thing. Like you, are, you're right. There is more freedom in a manner of speaking now, but you have to put that into context with if there are fifty thousand other songs coming out that day. That freedom is. Definitely overshadowed by the sheer mass of information coming out on that day. Um, wow. That's a little bit like mind-bottling. It's like your mind feels like it's trapped inside of a bottle. If
2: anybody I
0: mean knows what movie that comes from, <laughs> they get a high five. I can't remember. You've seen Blades of Glory?
2: Yes, but
0: I kind think, f- think I think I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely worth watching.
2: That's the yeah. uh, 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 John Heder movie, right? Yeah, and, uh, and Will Ferrell. The ice skating yeah. movie, yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a moment when they uh, are on the ice skating rink and they do this thing in unison and they, they scissor each other and, think, and there are little cocks like touch and like sparks happen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. I really need to <laughs> it's pretty <good>.
0: revisit that. <laughs>
2: How
1: have I been existing this whole time without that in my life? Right. I do I notice that when, we, that when we get together and talk and the two of you talk together, it does digress into movies quite a bit.
0: It's been a huge part of my life growing up. I didn't have television reception or cable growing up. We just had movies. So. He,
2: he had like the most impressive collection of like VHS cassettes you've ever seen. Illegal and it, VHS and cassettes. And his dad would like roll around with one of those video cameras that was like the size of a car and be like, hey, <laughs> it was
0: buddy. like like. an RPG on his shoulder <laughs> at all <the> times. <laughs>
1: He'd be like, hey, can, buddy, can, how you can doing? We, can we buy that in a way to say the name of this place? Because I don't think it's actually on the internet. So, because uh, the name that we were given. Yeah. It's called Cobra Kai. I love that. Yeah, we just we've been calling it and, and this
2: is like way it's before our evil dojo. <laughs> this is way before <laughs> this that, is where uh, we practice bullying. That super, Valley cool, Valley Kids. super cool like T V show revival things started happening. Like yeah. I, I haven't started, seen that. I haven't, I haven't seen it seen either, but I've actually it's really heard good. it's good.
1: I heard it is really good, but I haven't seen it as well because you know, I'm not paying for fucking YouTube. <laughs> At a certain point you're just like, No, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> there becomes a principle involved in it. Yeah. I know. But but so all right so oh yeah sorry
0: last thing on the uh, getting music out and into the world and the freedom of it but the restriction around it then there's the idea that you kind of have to please this sort of artificial intelligent artificially intelligent algorithm and God forbid like your song is experimental and doesn't actually have any of the uh, the things that 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 algorithm is looking for you know what I mean then you're screwed. If you don't have like a heyo or whatever the thing is that people want
1: today, <laughs> what do they want?
0: They want
2: a, Harry
1: Belafonte. <laughs> yeah, they I, want, I a, want
0: that. They want to.
2: <laughs> That's mm. what they want. Yeah, give the people what they want.
1: Yes, Why would is, you not give the people what they want? But that That's is a fascinating question as well. I mean, it's funny when you put it that way. I mean, basically, in a sense, then you kind of feel like you're making music for robots. Actually, people want everything
0: they
2: these do. days.
1: Kids these days, they want everything. They want it all. They want it all. Well, not only do they want it all, but what's, that's one of the fascinating things and I found at Grammy all. Camp was, was a really interesting thing. And, and this is actually, like on a series, it's, it's fascinating to talk with artists about it who've been making music for 20-something years, because I was going back to an interview I did with Slash when he was putting out his first solo album, and he's like, I find myself doing things I never would have done, or I never would have imagined. And it's so fast, because the kids, what they want more than, is access, yeah. They, they really like, and it's crazy because I remember talking about this with Grammy Camps. And it's like, if you don't fucking write them back on like, social media, they think that you're a dick. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> how as an artist do you balance that with, like, because again, we grew up in an era, I grew up in an era, I'm a few years older than you guys, where, you know, you came out where it's like, you know, there was still a mystique about music. Yeah. And that was cool. Like, I would have been, I remember one time I was like, that's gone. Scrolling around on <laughs> Facebook though, and it was like, people you may know. And one of them that came up was Robert Plant, obviously a fictional account. But I was just talking with my friends. I'm like, do you know how depressing it is to think of Robert Plant like being on Facebook and playing Words with Friends or Farmville? Like, that would just make me cry.
0: Aren't you supposed to be out there like... (laughs) shepherding yeah. and
1: falcon like Fal- yeah. falconry Falcons. and
0: sword practicing whatever you
1: know? it is you do when your Robert Plant sword yeah. sitting in hot swords,
0: sword play that's all things that I want to do Robert Plant is my he's like my spirit animal what my it's its my idea of Robert Plant he probably is playing words with friends right now I don't think so he just like raves <laughs> or, in
1: Hong Kong and shit like that he's oh, <laughs> okay. I've spoken to him in the past yes yeah, so he, he yeah he, he is living the the adventuresome life wow what,
0: what I'm saying is I want to be a falconer and to sit in hot springs and uh raise
1: sheeps just as friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding though. So all right. So and and then who's your spirit animal as a musician? Mike.
2: Oh goodness. I don't know. Pick my spirit animal.
1: Elmo. <laughs> sounds perfect. That
0: just flew into my mind. That sounds <laughs> perfect. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> if you're Robert Plant, then I felt like he should have been Jimmy Page, but I guess not. Yeah, I'm I'm Elmo. <laughs> and I'll take it too. Elmo's pretty Mike's not Loopy. into
0: Alister Crowley enough to to have uh, Jimmy Page as his Mr. spirit Crowley. animal. Mr.
1: Crowley, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Elmo's I do like Ozzy though. I love Ozzy. Ozzy, but would I also be a love my spirit
0: animal. Yeah. Somewhere between Elmo and Ozzy, maybe. I'm starting to rethink my spirit animal now.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, but it, but see, you're a front man, and if you're going to have a spirit animal, does my it's a front sp- man. Does my spirit animal have to be? Can be anything. Person from a band, or can actually be be an animal. If you want. Well, I did say as a musician, though, since you picked a musician. Uh, So your musical spirit animal. So one. So my
2: my my daughters on their first. I have twin twin girls, and on their first birthday, we had a um like a spirit animal reader come, and like we had all these kids come. You did not. Yeah, there was a spirit (laughs) animal reader, and and there were all these young, like these little these little boys that were like at the party and they all came in and the spirit animal guy was like i'm gonna give you all your spirit animals and all the boys were all excited and they were i think they were like from the ages of like four to like eight and one kid was like a hawk the other kid was like a tiger and like he was all stoked but then they got to the last one and he was a salmon and (laughs) and he was so bummed out about being a salmon and like and you little one you're a manatee he was like he, and and he was just so pissed off at his his spirit animal but i was actually kind of like a salmon's
1: kind of amazing because they they gotta swim upstream yeah to, you know to they, they fish and uh, you're
0: delicious yes
1: yeah but i salmon. mean do you really want that to be your calling in life is that you you know so the whole point i'm making <laughs> is that my spirit animal is a salmon
0: nice okay. i was this morning i was watching a live feed of grizzly bears standing in a stream at a national eating park somewhere me. as the salmons were like, <laughs> flying into their mouths. It was actually really relaxing. I was sitting there with my coffee watching a live feed of grizzly bears eating salmon. Yeah,
2: it's pretty amazing.
0: It's actually. pretty cool. Ah, the internet.
2: I'm the salmon I'm that escaped the jaws of the bear.
0: Nice.
1: <laughs> or maybe I
0: got eaten. <laughs> but so if that's the got, case, then you become part of the bear.
1: Yes. So, But you were watching that as opposed to responding to people on social media. What kind of rock star are you?
0: I still, I I occasionally do respond, but it's hard. It's really hard. I still struggle with that idea of uh, privacy. What's, how do you pronounce it? Privacy. 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 I feel like it's a word that is sort of swiftly on its way out of the general vernacular. Uh, But I enjoy it. (laughs) I really do enjoy a good balance, is what I'm looking for. You know, I understand that we need some realm of accessibility, being that we have kind of a public job for all intents and purposes, but um, we did grow up in an era when uh, mystique was something that was kind of naturally occurring, and those were the coolest artists, the ones you didn't know that much about. There was just rumor that he he ate the heads of bats, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. So what's
1: the best rumor that you guys ever heard about yourselves?
2: That we were dead. But that's a boring one because it happens to everybody. Do you remember the rumor?
0: Actually, this was – I don't know if I should even share this, but whatever. My older brother came to me, and he was concerned. And he's like, dude, a good friend of mine said that he heard a rumor that you were beating up prostitutes and paying them not to say anything. <laughs> that's right, not goes, funny at all. He goes, <laughs> that's not true, is it? And I, 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 I couldn't help myself. I didn't know that. For... He actually asked you that? He did. It was, it was like 15 years ago. And for a moment, I paused, and I looked at him like – Mm. Like, no, that's not true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, but it's. it's, it's Couldn't it's,
0: be further from the truth, actually. It's, it's
1: not funny that people do that, but, Mike, I get what you're saying. It's, it is funny because if you know Brandon, we, it's exactly, like the most. We'd be, thing in the we'd, world. we'd be twice as big as we are now, though. Like,
2: not if, today. If that, if that uh, actually got. If that was, like, actually a thing, if that was, like, actually, like, a s- story, like, we'd be.
0: Oh, he's such a nice we'd guy. We this we'd, one we'd thing that he s- likes to selling do: selling out stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the wrong places we would be. No, we don't want that kind of attention. Well, it's I do bad. remember,
1: Mike. You got you got telling me once about the one time. I guess there was uh, because of the band name. You were banned in like what country was it? Oh, th- the f- the Philippines. I think they th-
2: there was a concert that was being protested. Okay, and we've been protested several times here too. In somewhere in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, a couple places in the South because of our demonistic music, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. But uh, it- it's 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 like you would think that that um, people who take that sort of position would. Do any bit of diligence, but they just don't. <laughs>
1: yeah. I miss the old days, though, man. I remember it's funny. I was hanging out with this guy recently, who uh, CEO of the Honda Center, mm-hmm. and he used to run the Long Beach Arena for like forty years. Scream so, for me, Long Beach! Yeah, and we were talking about that, <laughs> and I miss the days of going to those old metal shows where you had all the protesters outside. You're going to hell, you know? They they were they Made were more fun. And, they were entertaining, mm. and they were really into it. They were very passionate about that whole, like, you know, if you're going to see Iron Maiden. I wish we- I saw Iron Maiden <laughs> back then. I like, know, that's one too. thing that we didn't get
2: to do because we were all, like, huge Iron Maiden fans back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and that, like that would have been I was, like, 12
0: to 14, I was properly obsessed with Iron Maiden. That stuff was amazing. The whole
2: thing, the, the talk about, like, you know, like, Rumors and like mystique. The whole thing was like, did you know the singer of Iron Maiden? He's, class- he's like opera singer.
0: He's that's classically right. trained. And right. he's that. a pilot. He that's that part's true. Or and I heard he both beats of up those. Ron too. You know, both of those Hopefully
1: not. Hopefully not. <laughs> he is a pilot. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do remember seeing them uh, back in the day and Eddie coming out into the audience. That was an amazing thing when you're a kid, man. And you know what? No disrespect to the dead, but I don't care how crazy the crowd is. When you see a seven-foot fucking demon walk into the audience and you're a kid, yeah. that's some pretty cool shit.
2: Well, we actually... So one of, one of our longtime uh, production... One of the members of our longtime production team used to work with Iron Maiden. And um, we asked if we could borrow Eddie. Oh, no, we do it every two years. And, and they, they said no every time. <laughs> right around
0: every two years, we ask Iron Maiden if we can take their um, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son tour production out. Because it's just sitting there in storage, and they say no. We're going to ask. We're, it's like the 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 woman that you love and you profess your love to, and you keep asking her to marry you. She keeps saying no. Yeah. One of these days, she might just change her mind. You know.
2: This is a, the first time we asked. Was like really long time ago I think like, it was about
0: 17 years ago
2: 2000, 2001-ish <laughs> we, we actually like, thought we were like well they'll let us do it right? <laughs> no we're a big band now we want Iron Maiden stuff <laughs> come on Eddie's really cool it It'd be a real turning point for this band <laughs> talk about the turning point yeah, exactly. it was the time we brought Iron Maiden let us bring Eddie on tour it changed everything
1: alright since Iron Maiden probably will never say yes nope. even though they are Maiden because they're smart <laughs> <laughs> what other stage production like what would be the, the cool stage production that you know that is within the realm of you know possibility like who has their stage in my I can't fucking talk today which is bad when you're doing a podcast <laughs> but what other artists would you want to borrow their stage production
0: Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon
2: that uh the the Yeezus tour that Kanye Kanye West Yeezus tour where they had like the Matterhorn that shit was awesome I gotta say like I, I was like I was just like, oh my God, like I've never, what a, what a crazy thing to do.
0: (laughs) I liked, uh, no effects. They had production on this big festival we did with them. It was a gigantic festival stage and they had a sign that was about the size of your lights behind you. So it was like.
2: The smaller than that. It maybe, like, maybe it was three a, feet high. It was a poster
0: board, five feet wide poster board. That so just, when you get was, at the drugstore, wait, so was it just, just like Spinal Tap,
1: Stonehenge? Yes, a little bit, but they yes.
0: they had it flown over them on this massive stage. Just so in black, there was it looked like it was like this big. It said no effects, and all of us were just smitten. <laughs> like the, the genius behind that production.
1: I have to say though, and we'll wrap up in a minute because you guys want to get to rehearsal. I can't imagine what the fuck it must have been like being on tour with no effects. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we didn't ever really tour with
2: them, but we, we a played, shows, we played yeah. festivals together and those guys were really, really cool. They're, they were they were, they were uh, really quite funny. I just, that's my recollection of them. First time we played with them was in Hawaii, Hawaii yeah. in 1997, the big melee with Wu-Tang clan and no effects. How funny is that?
0: It was no effects, Wu-Tang 311, save Ferris, Incubus. And we were like, it, we
2: played at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah.
1: But it was still awesome. That's a, that's a cool lineup. Yeah. And, and when we're not recording anymore, I'll tell you the Fat Mike stories and we can compare notes. Nice. <laughs> cool. What do you guys, I mean, well, it's funny. We, we started talking about the turning point. We covered movies, which, as you say, are a big turning point for you guys. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, before we wrap up on a little quick feature we're going to do, talk about the video for into the Summer and the, the Lost Boys homage. and You know, but I mean, oh, with, with, with <laughs> movies being such a big thing... <laughs> How do you pick which movies you want to, you know... Emulate. Exactly. It's tough. There's a lot of choices out there. We got a lot of songs, though. And a lot of... Not a lot
0: of money, but we have enough where we can do some... uh Some hodgepodge versions of our of our favorite movies. We got to do one that's a, a, an homage to Gentleman Broncos. Have you seen Gentleman Broncos? No. I think
2: that might be our next
0: one, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're already doing it. Oh, my gosh. So... um Uh, Jared Hess the writer-director it it was a movie he did right after Nacho Libre I think and it didn't get a wide theatrical release so not a lot of people have seen it but it's called Gentleman Broncos and it stars uh, your boy Jermaine Clement and uh, a handful of other people like um, uh, what's the dude Sam Rockwell
1: uh, Rockwell. brain
0: fart is in it and he's incredible in it uh, but Jermaine Clement plays a kind of washed up science fiction writer who uh, steals a young kid's sci-fi story to try and bolster his own career? It's so. I good. have seen it. It's I so have seen funny. it. But
1: Adam is also raising his hand. Adam, our sound guy, has has seen it's it. Good, and, right? Yeah. It's so good. It's We've, my favorite
0: one. Mike and I have watched it countless times, and it's always <laughs> funny. It's always funny. There's a, just for people who haven't seen it, just to maybe uh, tease your palate a little bit. There is a scene when an albino uh, python or a boa constrictor—it's real. It actually has explosive diarrhea on a man's chest
1: really good yeah it's great it's really (laughs)
0: really really good so will you be
1: throwing that scene into the video
0: probably not possibly or maybe i don't know if we can afford real diarrhea (laughs) it'll be it'll be beans probably
1: (laughs) wow so what song will that be the video for i don't really know what to say after that there's not much that leaves me speechless but i'm like where the fuck do you go from
0: there Uh, i'm a fan of absurdity
1: so where where we have a song called our love and it's gonna be the video for that the
2: juxtaposition I'm not joking actually I I believe you
1: but I like that juxtaposition of the absurdity of you know we enjoy writing we take you
0: know songwriting quite seriously we don't take ourselves very seriously though I feel like we have addressed this before with you but uh, we like to create like counterpoints in the creative conversation you you can get too serious really quickly
1: you know, I can't stand artists who take themselves to seriously, but I mean, it's it's funny. You look at this, I, you know, I mean, I think that's often the best musical tool. You look at like you know, like the Beatles' "Help" is it's, to me such a yeah. great example of like, you know, here's this song that feels so happy and upbeat, and then I saw you two do a, an acoustic version of it, mm-hmm. and I was like, holy fuck, this is a song about suicide. This yeah. is like one of the hardest songs you've ever heard. But it's you know, they hide it behind this, and I think that that juxtaposition works really well.
0: Yeah, who sa- I re- read a quote recently that said, "I, I love." Uh, sad songs, sung to beautiful
1: melodies. I think it was Tom Waits, right? Do you know that? Sounds quote? like Tom. Yeah, yeah. My favorite songwriter of all time. Mm. Hey, this is Chief walter You have been joining us on My Turning Point for a very, very special episode with guests Mike Einziger and Brandon Boyd from the band Incubus. Hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we enjoyed doing it. Man, this one was a blast. Thank you.